0: Grace Chicago Church had the privilege of hosting Catherine James and Paula Carter on Friday, January 26th, for a reading and Q&A. Catherine just wrote a book called Can You See Anything Now? which won Christianity Today's Award for Best Fiction of 2017. Paula um, just published in November a book called No Relation. So we had the opportunity to have both authors with us. And so what you're about to hear is uh, Bob's going to do an introduction for the authors, and then Paul is going to read a selection from uh, No Relation, and then Catherine's going to read a selection from her book, Can You See Anything Now?, and then there's um, a Q&A afterwards, they'll ask each other a few questions, and then the audience chimes in and asks a few questions as well. Uh, This was recorded January 26th at Little Street Loft. Well, hi everybody. Uh, It's
1: a privilege to know almost everybody here pretty well, so... I'm going to keep this very informal. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to have that opportunity. I'm Bob Reed, uh, the minister of Grace Chicago Church. And uh, together with Caleb and and Whitney, one of our deacons, we've kind of put together the logistics uh, for this evening. Uh, We're super, super happy to be having a reading for uh, Katie James and Paula Carter. Uh, So many of you know Paula because she's part of our Grace Chicago Church community. And Katie and Rick uh, sojourned, Rick her husband sojourned here for a while, a while ago, and happens to be uh, the sister of one of my best friends, so it was a great catalyst to, to be able to put everything together tonight and have two wonderful authors uh, have a reading from each of their books, and then have them interview each other too. So the only other thing I'm going to do here is uh, I'm going to take a walk down memory lane, and read you uh, what we said uh, in our mission and our vision statement about our relationship to the arts. Our meaning, Grace Chicago Church, fifteen years ago. So we said we desire to support the arts, encouraging artists to express themselves, hone their skills, and expand their influence. We seek to understand artistic expression for its significance to the artist, and for its reflection of the reality of our collective condition. And let me just say that I think this is the very kind of event that fulfills that uh, vision, and what a privilege it is to to be able to see that happening. Um, Those those were very carefully chosen words, densely uh, worded (coughs) phrases. But what we're really trying to get at with that is that what we hope to do at Grace Chicago Church would be to become a place where artists felt safe, safe to explore their creative process, knowing that their church community did not expect them to produce art that was Christian, per se, whatever that might mean exactly, but most important of all to be a church community that desired for artists to help shape it. By being with us and bringing their creative process, their appreciation for mystery, ambiguity, contradictions, and messiness. Portraying in our midst how hard, confusing, joyful, or funny life can be in order to remind us that God holds us and is interested in us in all of the situations in which we find ourselves and no matter how we feel about God. And then, of course, we wanted to be the kind of church in turn that did not oversimplify the message of God's love for us in Christ, so that artists who already knew that it was far too often oversimplified, would feel welcome in our midst. So with those thoughts, uh, welcome. Paul and Katie. What we up these stools, this fancy podcast mic.
2: I think we're going to try without the mic. Try without the mic, yeah. Caleb said that was okay. That's, that the, the recording, that's, the, that's the important thing That the recording will there. still be happening fine. So I think well, maybe, since we'll we'll we... Do you want to see with the mic?
0: Well, the mic's not the problem.
2: Okay. We'll just see about it. Okay. Let's um, see if I can turn the still. Um, well... I'm going to start. Um, I'm going to start reading, and Katie, you can come up and join me or not. You can sit in your seat if you would like while I read. I don't know if you feel, yeah, weird being up here while I read. Um, <laughs> um, I just want to thank, first of all, um, Bob and Caleb, who um, reached out to us to, to do this, and um, how nice it is to feel supported, um, and as Bob just read, to feel supported um, in being an artist. Um, When I first started coming to Grace about two years ago, that was one of the things that really drew me to it, Um, the artistry of the music, um, as well as some of the artists that are in our community, like Jill and Jess. Um, So um, so it's really wonderful to be a part of a community that um, loves those things as much as I do. Um, So I'm going to read from No Relation, which is my book that came out in November. Um, Some of you have had a chance to read it. Um, Some of you have already supported me in amazing ways around this book. Um, But I hope you enjoy hearing from it again. Um, The book tells a story of um, a relationship that I was in um, in my mid-20s. I met a man who um, had been married before and already had children. Um, And we were together for a number of years, and then the relationship didn't work out, and I left them. Um, So the book is really asking questions about what it means to be... Um, a mother, a parent, what it means to be in a family, how families are constructed, and then certainly for me, what it meant to have, um, be in a role that was an almost mother and then leave those children. Um, so I'm going to read from different places throughout the book um, so you can get a sense of, of that arc. Almost mother. <clears throat> when James calls me to tell me he is again married, I am already a new woman. I'm living in a new city with a new job and new friends, most of of whom don't know him or understand that I was almost a mother. I wear zippy clothes, money in my pocket, and frequent all the coffee shops in my neighborhood, time on my hands. But a few days later, when it is his youngest son's 10th birthday, I wonder again how it is I am that new woman. Where is the other one? She is still here. Sometimes I see her peeking out, watching me laugh with my new friends. She hovers over my bent head and brushes back the hair from my temple, unsure who else to care for. Like a ghost that can't cross over, she stands beside me in line at the grocery store when I buy lean cuisine and blueberries and yogurt. She stands beside me while this girl at the gym explains how her son is wetting the bed. We hold our tongue. Thinking of the time James and I bought that used washer and dryer because of his oldest son, <coughs> and how we then had to move it from house to house. The book is also written in very short chapters, almost like um, individual moments or, or prose poems. Um, so I'm going to read a, a number of those. Love song We are going to see the bats. We are three. James, his youngest son, and me. The bats will appear at dusk, swooping low among the trees at Bryan Park. They're easy to miss, because at first they look like swallows. But if you look closely, you'll see that they move differently, less of a glide and more of a dance. I say this to Alex as we walk, thinking he will find it interesting. Alex is looking down into the grass, scouting. And he tells me that his class went on a field trip to a cave filled with thousands and thousands of bats, and so he already knows. I look to James, and he shakes his head, no. Alex is wearing a sleeveless tank top that shows his plump four-year-old arms, and I am tempted to squeeze them, but it is safer to take James's hand in my own. James leans over and kisses my head. Ahead of us, Alex spies something and calls out, Dad, staccato, breathless. James goes to him and squats down, and the two of them look at a family of mushrooms growing under a fledgling tree. When When we get to the bench in the middle of the park, James lies down to look at the sky, but Alex is restless. He asks me if I'll play tag. I make a sudden move, and he takes off running. His motor skills are still developing, and his legs kick out on either side as he runs. I feel silly careening after him, unsure of what I'll do once I catch him. The sky is getting darker, turning purple, and I hear James call to us. I see one, guys. I see a bat. But we are a ways away now. The lights from the tennis courts pop on, throwing shadows all over the park. I'm close to Alex, only a few feet away, when he turns and says, I bet you can't kiss me. I'm startled but say, bet I can. We are moving farther away from James, and I wonder if he is worried. I gain on Alex easily, and when I am close enough, I lift him up into my arms, and I can hear him giggling, a low, heavy giggle, which vibrates through me like a hymn. I flip him over so he is lying in my arms. He is still giggling when I lean down and carefully kiss his forehead. It is a humid night, and his skin is coated in a soft layer of moisture. He smells like the grass. When I raise my head and look at him, he is quiet. He is looking at me hard. is looking for something. I think to smile, to say something like he would to a small child, but I just stare back. Finally, his eyes dart from mine, and he points to the sky and says, is that one? And in the next instant, James calls to us, guys, come here, you're missing it. Um, this is called Conversation Overheard and it's all in quotes it's a true it's a real quote I was going to have a first date with this girl the first date was going to be walking her dog my friends they said maybe that wasn't such a good idea they said what if you like the dog (laughs) 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 yes um I kept trying to tell people when I was telling people what the book was about, that it's all so funny. It's like, I swear, it's all so funny. Um, So one of the things that I was doing um, in writing this, um, I didn't want to just tell my own story. I wanted to reflect, um, as Kitty and I will discuss later, um, the fact that this um, kind of non-traditional family is very common. um, It's happening in a lot of different places and has happened throughout time. Um, and I wanted to shed some light on that. Um, So I did a bunch of research and included a variety of different narratives in this, not just my own. So this is one of those. Um, Octavia, this is from Octavia from uh, ancient Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Octavia, Octavia, what kind of woman you must have been. Eight children to watch over, five your own, one from your husband's first marriage, and two, the product of his long love affair. He died in her arms, as history would tell again and again. And you? You were left to care for the children. Your beauty was said to surpass even hers. So what did she have that you did not? You must have wondered. A kingdom, I suppose. And her ability to stare right back at her own teeth marks once she had taken a bite, while you stood solemnly in your kitchen a pillar of feminine virtue, how it burned. What did they call you, those children? Did they taunt you behind your back? Or were you all of one piece, left behind in dull-witted love's irresponsible wake? But let's be honest. You didn't give the choicest cut of meat to Cleopatra's son. Why would you? At night, by the fire, you never held him in your lap. How could you? You had teeth. And they left marks, but you were better bred. You knew how to place them so no one else could see. Um, So I ended up leaving this relationship and then the second half of the book is all about um, uh, what happens afterwards. Um, The book is structured in two acts, act one and act two. Um, So this is the very last chapter of Act 1, Cupcakes. Four cupcakes. Vanilla and chocolate with frosting like the sea, and little pink orchids laid carefully afloat on the top. They look like miniature wedding cakes. Alex says he wants the chocolate one. His brother shoots him a look, and his mother instructs him to let me choose first. He obliges without complaint. I choose the vanilla. When I take the first bite, my tongue wants to expel the sugary cake so thick with butter it is like pure fat. But I don't. Instead, I take another bite. It is important that this be a significant moment, and eating the cupcake that Caleb and Alex have chosen for me on the occasion of my departure is part of that. I think of them all standing together at the bakery counter on their way home from school, picking out the cupcakes. I know the boys insisted on the delicate ones, the girly ones, because I am a girl. Once, James let the boys choose what to get me for my birthday, a purse or a bike. Under 10 years old, and they went with the purse. <laughs> James's ex-wife is making a gesture. She is doing her job as the mother. Who would have thought this, too, would fall to her? She is bearing it with Grace. My car is waiting right outside. It is late afternoon, just like the many times I've made this long drive to pick up the boys for the weekend. Perhaps we will all three get in the car and head home. Most likely, we will all get car sick from the sweet cake and have to stop on the side of the road like the time I let them get ice cream from Brewster's. <coughs> when I leave, alone, I realize that this is probably the last time I will see them for a long time. I'm headed off in the other direction to a place miles away. I do not think it is the last time I will ever see them. I'm going to read this one. Um, I haven't really read this one yet, but um, I keep getting comments about it from people that have read the book. They keep mentioning this particular one, so I thought I would read it. Um, it's also funny. Tupperware. Tupperware. <clears throat> I look through the Tupperware and select the container, depending on how likely it is, I think I will see the man again. The flimsiest ones, the ones the commercials assure assure you you won't mind losing, I have to keep replenishing. Over dinner at my house, usually the fourth date, these men say things that convince me this can't move forward. Like the guy who had a brilliant solution to the abortion debate. Just create a technology that can move an unwanted fetus into the body of a woman who can't have children. He said because his ideas were out of the box, people usually didn't react to them well at first. (laughs) I pointed out that his plan left out the emotional side of the equation. He took home a small serving of penne arabiata. There was the guy who explained how all of his friends were getting divorces, even the ones who had once seemed like the perfect couples, so in love. We talked about how rough relationships were and then sized each other up across the table. We had chicken tortilla soup. I considered not sending leftovers home with him at all. I imagined my Tupperware crowding their cupboards or left in their communal fridges at their workplaces. A strange lid, a strange size, doesn't fit with anything else they've got. Who knows where it came from? The best pieces. The ones with hard rubber lids that my mother got me in a set one Christmas. I never sent home with anyone. They remain neatly stacked in my cupboard. So far, no one has been worth the risk. (laughs) Everyone likes that one. Um, And this will be my last one. Marshmallows. Adit knows just the place, a small restaurant with Christmas lights still hung even though it is January, tucked away among the tall buildings in downtown Chicago, Korean barbecue. The two words I find hard to fit together, but I don't say this to Adit, whose family is from India, who grew up in New York and wears brown leather shoes that come to a point at the toe, who opens every door for me, whose name I have just learned I have been mispronouncing for the last month. Our fire pit is right in the middle of the table. We order Kobe beef and duck, shiitake mushrooms. But for dessert, I insist on the s'mores. There's a picture on the menu. A few squares of Hershey's chocolate, store brand graham crackers, and two large marshmallows on a plate. The simple beauty of it makes me happy. But what I'm really thinking about is the time James and I took the boys camping in Kentucky in October and each camper had lugged along elaborate Halloween decorations to spruce up their sight. How the boys went off to explore, and how moments later James panicked, imagining them kidnapped or falling down a well. He went in search of them while I got out hot dogs and the makings of s'mores. Then I sat waiting for the boys to be found and him to return, which was usually the way things were then. They hadn't gone far, and soon they all returned together. Alex ate the marshmallows right out of the bag while James tried to show Caleb how to rotate his over the fire, and I tried not to move, taking in the stillness in the woods around us, not wanting to disrupt the stillness that had finally descended on his heart. That is what I'm thinking of, roasting marshmallows with a handsome man who carefully helps me remove the hot sugar from the spit and whose apartment, high above the city, I will go to later. There will be a kind of stillness there, too. Thank you.
3: So I will be reading from my debut novel. It's called Can You See Anything Now? And um Basically, the novel is about a small town in upstate New York and all the characters who live in there, and sort of about the complexities of the human spirit. And so I have different characters. One is an evangelical woman, another one is a girl who cuts. Um, there's an attempted suicide, which I'll read the first chapter of just to brighten your day. <laughs> Um, okay. Of all of the ways that Margie Nethercott could kill herself, she found a, it hard to imagine a better way than fading out of the universe with the help of a palm full of pills. Preferably of the white, chalky type, chunky discs of tiny particles forced together via mechanical arms and metal plates in some factory deep in South America where the coca leaves shading the whole affair smirk from the jungles. Yes, but with the brave new world comes a certain ease in offing oneself, and with this ease comes monotony. Suicide should contain a bit of drama, something. Pills were anemic and guns were terrifying. Drowning, on the other hand, had stood the test of time. Smooth, simple, and metaphorically appropriate, in light of the lungs filling with liquid and air bubbling upward like packets of life that pop at the surface. And so it was that very early in the morning, on September 23rd, Margie tied a large stone to her ankle and let it pull her to the bottom of the lake. The plan was well thought out. The rock, in fact, was predetermined, having been chosen by Margie weeks earlier as she walked by... The water contemplating her latest diagnosis of multiple sclerosis and feeding her escalated sorrow with, um, with tidbits from remembered misfortunes over youth. The rock itself was a comfort, it had the slightest green tint of algae, one side hugging the mud and slop of the immobile water. She spied it on her evening walk, coming down the hill and around the lake. The size was right, the placement and color, the tone. The time she had left her bed at 3.07, according to the glow-green digits of her alarm clock, was random. Margie, lying in bed, stone-still herself, listening to the tiny wheeze exiting Nick's two small nostrils for more than 15 minutes before she was satisfied he was asleep. Sometimes, Nick worked through the night on his thinly imagined magnum opus, a work that called on much obvious material to state what was already obvious to those inclined to reflect on such things as the obvious emotional manifestations of imperfections, ours, theirs, or some abstract combination thereof. She often came downstairs to find him on the couch with his laptop, hunting and pecking the keyboard, a hungry determination on his face as his small dark eyes darted about in sync with the hasty movements of his fingers. She had some rope and a section of fishing net. The silty gray hue, Margie pictured everything in colors and hues of her life was just the plain fact of it. Being alive was not an on or off thing, it was a spectrum where death hovered somewhere mid-ambit and she'd been a flickering thing for years. Things that made her feel real, art, her own, not someone else's, sometimes reading, sometimes music, physical pain. This time she would end her life with an appropriate last breath in the middle of the night in the quickening breeze of early fall, giving way to the Wikipedia lake like a soldier on his own sword. She dragged the canoe across a patch of sand and pushed the bow into the water where it wobbled atop the tiny waves, lifting the load for Margie's arms as though in gentle affirmation of her intention to kill herself. She set the rock with the rope and the net into the bottom of the canoe and pushed hard so that it slid off the sand and into the water in the darkness toward an old swimming raft floating at oil jumps 40 40 yards out. Back straight, she sliced a paddle into the water, gliding quietly forward, stars across the sky. Once on the swimming raft, she shoved the canoe away with a foot, a kick with a bit of lazy anger behind it and set to wrapping the rock in the net, and tying the rope to the net, and then her ankle. The sky was dark, but for the stars. The water was black. Still, there wasn't a void that she had imagined. She knew the edges of the lake, the sloping hill beyond, the soft haze of certain light across the sky that hinted at the more nocturnal part of town. And these things felt to her like intruders. She sat on the edge of the raft. Gripping the rope tightly, she slowly lowered the rock into the water, stalled for a moment, and let go. The rock tugged her, her ankle down first, then her leg, and she tightened her lips. She felt the firm tug in her leg and then also in her torso, as though the rope was tied to her heart and gently yanking it, the way she remembers the placenta after Noel was born. Finally, easing out of her as the doctor pulled at the umbilical cord, she gripped the edge of the raft, and the rough wood dug a fierce line into the back of her thighs. One leg sunk deep into the water; the other floating near the surface and ready to follow. Small swells of water, flat, cool around her half-sunk leg, and a breeze only strong enough to muss a few strands of hair touched the side of her face. She stared at the waves it was entirely possible to feed oneself a sorrow to point that above or below the water a turning would happen, a redirection. The canoe wandered alone, a dark oblong shape now nosing the shore. Margie looked up at the stars. The stars were her friends, she thought to herself, before slipping into the water and letting the rock sink down, tugging her body in one very fine movement with a solid, hapless jerk. As she slipped in the water, the rock sank into the slop of mud at the bottom and yanked her under. She felt the tiny pings of rough mud and sand hit her legs as the rock kicked up debris from the bottom. And then, in a way that she understood as her natural, her instinctual desire to live, she found her head above water after all, her puma-clad feet balancing on the very rock that was supposed to bring her demise that dark finger of a morning. It was unclear whether the lake was low because of high temperatures and the recent short-term drought or whether her memory had simply failed her. She hadn't been in the lake for five years. It was not as deep as she remembered. She stood on the rock with her chin tilted up for two hours. Cavernous air above half floating, half standing, her arms bearing nothing but the wave-like currents of the lake as the stars faded, a low fog settled over the water as for its morning routine. A group of ducks squawked, winging over her and splashing awake as her thin legs reached forward, guiding them into a synchronized landing. She relaxed, making threads of her limbs, and slipped under the water to rest her neck and arms, and then came back up, face wet, blinking water from her eyes. A few early joggers and walkers began to appear, coming down the short hill and rounding the corner and back up the other hill. She could see Cecilia Henley, the woman with the twins in the backyard strewn with little types playthings, her thick thighs jugging left and right, large feet pointed slightly out as she began the climb, as though the street was a large trunk of a tree, and here she needed to wrap herself around it grip it between her legs, and keep her focus on the sky. Cecilia Henry tilted her head back as she ran, gasping, knees out, feet out, pavement passing slowly beneath her. It was a funny thing to watch. Margie let herself pee and felt the cloud of guilty warmth around her for a moment before it gave way again to the cool water of the Wikipedia. Her limbs were by now sucked clean of any vitality, their structure loosening, bone, muscle, and nerve dividing into a useless, rubbery mass. She had no choice but to call out, Hello? She tilted her head back farther when she called, and the white morning sky blinded her. Hey? A jogger stopped and hesitated, turning toward the lake. He put his hands on his hips, breathing hard, and walked curiously to the edge of the water. It was James O'Neill. She could tell because of his stocky size and, even from far away, the purity of his face. That look of wonder he always had. Eyebrows up toward the middle of his forehead like he never could quite figure out something. Like there was an element of surprise for him in the most mediocre things. He wore a green shirt with white lettering and gray athletic shorts. He stretched his head forward and squinted, peering across the water. Hello? It's Margie Nethercott. Margie? I'm stuck. Margie?
2: a little, <laughs> a little wild stuff. so specifically with UK um you know I, I saw a few reviews that were saying that your book is you know really unsentimental and you know comparing it to some other um, Christian fiction um and saying, you know, that it really has a little bit more um realness or hardness to it. Um and I'm just curious to know about, you know, how you feel about that. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's a good question. What, you know, I was about. actually
3: in line of it being published. It's actually published by a Small Catholic Press. And my first concern was, do you want to call it Christian because I didn't actually I wanted it to be just literary fiction. Um because I was concerned. There's language, there's darkness, you know. It's really not much Christian in there, really, except for some sort of subtext. So, it surprised me mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they even wanted to do that. Mm-hmm, so, it was mm-hmm. kind of...
2: But then you won an award for yeah. in that genre. Yes. So, what's interesting is so. that if it's a little different than what might also yeah. otherwise be in that genre, to then, you know, hold yeah, up.
3: Yeah, it's very encouraging because a lot yeah. of Christians liked it. And I was kind of blown away. I didn't think I'd get that. I thought we were going to be right in the middle of a controversy and do you swear in Christian literature or not, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. But it didn't. It didn't go there, which is wonderful. Um, so, yeah, so the Catholic yeah. press kind of did that. But yeah. Oh, and then the word was another kind of crazy thing because it's Christianity, today's book of the fiction book of the year. And so was kind of like, you can do that? You know? <laughs> have you read it?
2: <laughs> 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 but they did, apparently. So, which is
3: awesome. That was wonderful.
2: <laughs> yes, which is awesome. Um, um, but
3: let me ask you some okay. questions. Sure. So I have a lot of questions for Paula. I'm going to try to just you know do a couple. It's really interesting because both of us have our MFAs in fiction. And so we studied fiction. Our thesis was probably fiction, um, but we're also she has written a memoir, and then I just finished a memoir. So we're sort of going back and forth between like fiction and nonfiction. And I found, which you probably have too, that the mm-hmm. the they just overlap and just like entangled in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So I've learned a lot by doing both of those back to back: fiction, a novel, and then a memoir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So I was going to ask you first that: Do you think it's easier or, or harder to write complicated characters mm-hmm. in fiction or nonfiction? Oh. In a memoir?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, so I really primarily write nonfiction now, um, and have really for the last. Five years or so. Um, and for me, it's easier to write complex characters with nonfiction. Um, somehow having um kind of having the material kind of already there. I feel mm-hmm. like um when I'm writing nonfiction, I can um, just mine that and explore that um rather than trying to invent it. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, really great fiction writers are doing that all the time, making really um, complex characters. But for me, it's it's easier with nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I think the two overlap so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Um, my thesis actually was a, a dual genre book, fiction and nonfiction. Oh. And I paired um, a story with an essay, and I had about 10 pairs. Um and each pair dealt with the same event or character to really explore this yeah. line of like fic- what can happen in fiction, what can happen that's in nonfiction. Um, yeah. So they each you know took the different genre to like look at the same event and yeah. um, and that's definitely what you find is that that line just becomes blurrier and blurrier the closer yeah. and closer you look. Um, yeah, with um, definitely um, real things coming into yeah. fiction and um, some sense of having to certain times. Um, create things in nonfiction because maybe you don't remember them accurately or you think Mm. you do, but, Mm. um, you know, you have to, um, uh, you know, add the detail and you don't know for sure if it's accurate. I
3: guess either way you are, um,
2: you're not judging,
3: right? If you're judging when you're writing a memoir, I think when we judge it tends to be black or white. So you kind of automatically create, you know, two dimensional characters. Right, right. But, um, you know, being an observer, obviously, you uh, would see, you know, the overlap, right? And all of that, so... Yes, um,
2: yes. And how about for you? How about, I mean, with you, you have a memoir just coming out. How have you felt going back and forth between the two genres so closely? I know. Um, Hmm,
3: that's a really good question. I haven't figured it out yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's easier... Honestly, I, am, I think it's easier to write complicated char- characters in a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you are an observer, you're like, you know, Lynn, you dress wonderful, but you're much more complicated than what you look like. You know, there's, there's a whole Lynn in there that's... <laughs> you're beautiful inside and out, Lynn. <laughs>
2: That first appearances don't reveal everything. Yes, yeah. and you know <laughs> yeah. you might think <laughs> it's <about laughs> yes. like, oh,
3: I love you. <laughs> but yeah, so you know there's the yeah. gossipy yeah. person in church, and then it's like okay, that's who she is. And mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if you know them, yeah, you know, they you know actually the
2: have a really cool heart. Yeah, the layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the layers that you find. Yeah, um, yeah. Do any, we can keep going, yes. but do any of you have any questions for us? <laughs> so, we'd love to answer them. <laughs> um, if not, that's fine, also.
0: Yeah, so I've read, I'm 200 pages into, into your book, and um, I think just, just along the lines of like the blur between fiction and nonfiction mm-hmm. is that all the character. I feel like I know in my own life, characters that, you know, you know, I know Edda. Yeah. Ed, right, all, all the characters in your book. So I, I'm wondering how hmm. much... How much of your uh, uh, of the characters in, in, in your, your book that's in the genre of fiction have... are non-fiction, right? Yeah. Are actually people <laughs> that you're putting into this... Yeah, fiction.
3: that's a great question. You know how many people, sh- like, come up to me and said... You wrote about me. Yeah. You know, my daughter, she's like, oh, she has auburn hair just like me, you know. But wait a second, you didn't get my smile right. So, yeah. and they're absolutely taken from my head, and they're pieced together from people, you know. You observe people, and, and so it's kind of a mishmash of, I think, different people you see outside and that you're um, yeah. observing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
1: So, weird question, uh, maybe. I'm too, but I've only read the book so far. Sorry. Um, does story matter at all? Because mm-hmm. what I got out of the book was the insights and mind things, mm-hmm. and this worked like this because of that. It's mm-hmm. like wow, weird, amazing insights. I did like really taking pictures of someone who But like the story could have been they were painting the wall mm-hmm. versus Margaret Kent, who never got mm-hmm. dealing with multiple sclerosis. I mean, like.
0: How can you parse apart from me a little bit like
1: the story mm-hmm. versus what's going on? Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I think it gets down to what mm-hmm. you would call literary fiction really is character driven fiction mm-hmm. as opposed to plot driven which would be mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe like genre
2: fiction um, yeah. like any so. of the big genres like crime or mystery yeah, or yeah. something like that.
3: Yeah. So fiction, literary <laughs> fiction would be um, just character-driven and I believe that um I think any story is great if you have um a good character that people can connect with even one I think pe- people read anything you know it's yeah. like your voice in there it's like I know you I know mm-hmm. Paula of course yeah. I want to keep reading mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not going to just leave you out there I have to find out yeah so I feel like that's you know, a big part of it. And that said, a beginning, middle, and end is really important because you can write some boring stuff about that. I mean, you can be like, oh, it's like Camille or whatever. You know, whatever the heck he's doing. So,
2: yeah. No, I think I think um, you know I think story is important. Like, I mean, I think um, there is a point where you know a reader will forgive you a certain amount of um, your musings, um, but then you do want to have something that you're following is we're just, we're humans that way. We mm-hmm. think in narrative, we think in how did our day go? I went and did this then I did this then I did this. Um, so, um, there's a lot of experimental fiction, you know, yeah. that maybe doesn't do that, you know, as, um, as clearly as other places, but, um, but exactly. If you have an interesting character, you're going to be able to find an interesting story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have a question. Um, I, I want to ask about faith, um, and I imagine though you win uh, an award for Christian, you know, for Christianity today, and so maybe you find yourself in front of more Christian audiences than you mm-hmm. expected to, asking about, you know, mm-hmm. questions from the angle of faith. So I'm curious how that's been. And Paula, I imagine you haven't been in church about mm, totally talking you about your book, mm-hmm. and um, and. Not, yeah. Neither of just, you, you you talk about like being surprised that you won. It's like you know, and I'm there like, yeah, I'm surprised that this one, was, like, a Christian world. well and like, it's not Christian, which is again like beautiful. Um, so I'm just curious if, if yeah, talk about like what I don't know what 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 do, yeah what well, what has your interaction been like in. in, in with
3: with faith communities, with this book, yeah. what is it like showing you? Um, the people are more open-minded That I was categorizing people. Mm. I was assuming all of you were just... Two dimensional, not you, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, the yeah, evangelical world. Right. I was assuming right. that they were two dimensional. Right. Yeah, I'm like, wait a second, you read my book, and I feel like I have to apologize. And she's like, oh, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're actually on staff with a ministry called Crew. And you know, it's basically, you know, 30 years ago, we were one of these ministries that handed out tracks. On you know, so now, of course, we wouldn't do that, but. You know, I'm kind of like, don't let anybody know that I wrote this. Because we have people who support our ministry. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what if they pick it up and read it, you know? Hmm. So, Hmm. but I was curious too, Paula, about you. Because Mm -hmm. you are, you have faith. Mm -hmm. And then you're in these situations that are, you know, completely lacking anything. Right? Yeah. And what, do you feel a need, I guess, to, um, I don't know, not to evangelize or get back to the gospel or anything, but do you have a sense of somehow needing to be a witness, like just a good, not, you know, a good yeah, person yeah. or.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll answer that. And then I, I want to talk to you a little more about some stuff you just said, but, um, um, you know, for me, I think as an artist, um, kind of this observing that we were talking about mm-hmm. and this revealing of kind of some of the truths of, of what it means to be human, um, you know, I think in that first thing we were talking about in terms of kind of both of us being interested and in kind of not shying away from kind of some of the darker or harder things about life, um, I think being able to reveal that is is really important in our world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like the, your kind of stereotype of maybe what a Christian or evangelical Christian would be, I think it's when we can reveal those things that those stereotypes are disrupted. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So for me, it's not really about like witnessing or really bringing in um, a direct concept of faith, but that the work itself is revealing this mm. kind of beauty and humanity, and this beauty and mm. um, I hope love and caring. That's one of the things I'm trying to show in the book too. The multiple different ways that we can love and care for people. It doesn't yeah. have to be this one narrative or this one set way. Um, so I think that's I mean that's more where I I'm trying to do the work than mm. in publicly trying to you know you know, trying to evangelize or something like that. Um, But I do think it's something, you know, like this idea of stereotypes for you, of you assuming kind of how your book might be received and having it be received in such a different way, um, I think does speak maybe to some hunger, Mm. um, even in that world, for some of this more... Mm. um, Real talk, maybe if we can call it. Um, you know, um, and the fact that it won the award, I think, I know, also maybe speaks to that too. Um, you know, people that are wanting not just to have to, you know, gloss over things, or you know, I mean, people swear in their lives. You know, Christians swear, people. Um, so I mean, I don't. <laughs> so you know, so I, I think that it's not surprising that people are like, oh, this is kind of yeah. refreshing, and this is, you know. Yeah. Um, you know.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if the award gave people like permission to enjoy it,
2: right? Right. It's like oh, oh no it's no like point. deemed okay to like this. And yes, right. Yeah. Because yes. there's yeah. there's
3: wonderful writers. Actually, she has one uh, that won. I don't know three years ago. Uh, have you heard of Marilyn Robinson? Oh yeah. So, she yeah. won this award a while back. And
2: wow, that's some pretty good company you're in. I know. <laughs> oh, of course, nice. she had no idea she won. Nope,
3: you know, she didn't have a flu.
2: But I'm like, I won! <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, what
3: was your question? I don't yeah, that was go good. Best.
2: Yeah, per- you just comment. Yeah, permission to like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah I think so. yeah, yeah. I have the same question for each other. So can you remember a time when you were suddenly aware that you just wanted to write? Mm -hmm. Like, this is really what I want to do as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. Other people read it. That's awesome, too. I mean, was there a moment or a series Mm -hmm. of moments? Or what was that
2: like? I have such a cliche answer so I'll go first which is like when I was in second grade I, I was born with a
3: pen in my hand <laughs> like,
2: you know which I mean it is true in second grade I told my mom I want to be a writer and so it's not a lie but it's so cliche and so so crazy um but then it just you know I mean it just really continued you know I mean the older I got the more I could read myself mm-hmm. the more I would just I think that's really where it started for me and just loving other people's work and how much I wanted to read and appreciated stories and then feeling like I want to do that myself.
3: Yeah.
1: Did your parents encourage you? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they were both
2: writers. <laughs> <laughs> they were not writers, but they definitely read a lot to us. Yeah. And, yeah, really encouraged it, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, for me, Uh well, I think it was just sort of the way I was. I just—I don't know that at a certain point I figured, oh, this is why I am this way, or this kind of fits with this. But I was just a really spacey kid, like really <laughs> spacey. I—I I would just stare out the window and sometimes write poetry during class. Um, never learned a thing. Um,
2: so thankfully, I nothing, but I, here not I really. am,
3: I, I, honestly, I don't know my times tables. This is no joke. Um, <laughs> for our daughter.
2: <laughs>
3: but anyway, at some point I realized, uh, oh wait, I can do that. So and I love it.
2: <laughs> like can't do math I can do this <laughs> other thing though <laughs> do, you, Paula, do you have a day job or is this your a full time writer no I have a day job yeah. what do you do Yeah. Um, so I am a writer in my day job too um, I freelanced for a number of years um, doing a lot of fundraising development type writing um, and that is really what gave me the flexibility to write the book at the same time just about a year ago, I took a new job um, as a um, managing editor for an online magazine with a non- that's also with a nonprofit. Um, so now I actually have to go in nine to five, and that's a little different. Crafting your style. Yep. A little so different. when when do you write? On the weekends a lot, yeah. which is kind of hard because then it's kind of like a seven day work week. Um, yeah, that's but that's what I'm doing now. Yeah, mm-hmm. working on business. What- just one, Just this one. Is to be a yep. Yeah, but yep. she
3: has published in some really great periodicals, and journals,
2: essays, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, really good places. So. It's nice to talk to another writer that knows that. <laughs> Normally, I say like, "I've been published here," and people are like, "Oh, cool. great." I'm like, <laughs> I'm how, like "How many questions no, did you get? Like, how, many, how long did it take for you to?" <laughs> like, she she was like immediately like, "Oh, you got published here." I was like, "Oh, it's over the nose." <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, so
3: nice. Anyway. <laughs> so, when, so, for both of you, what's your end goal hmm. for writing if you have one? No. I just want to keep writing. Yeah. And it does matter if you have an audience. Like, I don't think I could write if it was just for myself mm-hmm. journaling. I need someone to be reading it.
2: Yeah, I, I think feel that way. I do. I think, you know, writing really is an act of communication. Like, that's really what it is about. and you know, So, if you don't have that final step of actually communicating the thing, um, then I think it can be really frustrating. Um, yeah. yeah. That's why I
3: reject rejections, it's I so guess, hard really hard. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do, I have a question. Do each yeah. of you, I've done a, a kind of writing workshop thing in Portland, mm, yeah. Chicago is a great city for that, where yeah. Yeah. you gather somebody working on a screenplay, somebody's working on a book. Do, you, do either of you participate in something? Did you develop these pieces, mm-hmm. or did you have some kind of critique,
3: or anything like that? Um, In a writing group? Not right now, I don't, but uh, when we got our MFAs, that's basically, you know, all we do. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's really helpful.
2: But for the development of these pieces, did you... Uh,
3: I didn't, you like no. I mean, I think it would be wonderful I had, if I had a group, but, yeah, I don't have one.
2: I don't exactly have a writing group, but... Um, some of my closest friends from my MFA, um, who we go through that process together and critique mm. each other's work over a number of years, um, I am still in touch with. And um, they, I had three of them read the manuscript mm. before, and then I made changes and edits to it before I started sending it out. So, so they're kind of my little writing group, but we don't like meet in person or anything because we live in different places. Do you ever teach? Yeah, I do teach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just
3: like in random places, day retreats, that kind of
2: thing? Yeah, stuff like that, probably just because it's not my full-time job, and so it's hard to fit it all in. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I did teach a course, like an actual creative nonfiction workshop um, last fall at Concordia University, mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, and then I'm going to be, I'm developing a course right now with Northwestern. I'm going to be teaching oh, that in the summer. So yeah. Do you like it? I love teaching. Yeah. Me yeah, too, but yeah. how do you get
3: the gigs? Yes. I mean, that's oh, <laughs> it's hard. Those are great. Gigs.
2: It's very yeah. Um, competitive. Yeah. So, do you teach
3: as well? I do want to get a chance, yeah. but mostly yeah. like, you know, writing workshops. Uh, this retreat. There's yeah. another one coming up, so that kind of thing. Yeah, you know. yeah. But not, you know? I haven't had a. Yeah. I mean, I taught an undergrad class at Columbia, which yeah. was awesome.
2: But, yeah, I love it. Too. Yeah. yeah, students are amazing. Would you guys like to be our students? We can have a class. (laughs) We're going to give you
1: a (laughs) prom. Oh well, I want to know what you think.
3: She's probably never heard of it. Festival of Faith and Writing. Oh yeah, of okay. course yes, I've heard of it. Yes, oh, I'm gonna okay. go. Are you gonna
2: be there this year? Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're gonna see each other again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or something. That's, that's exciting. A, yeah, that's a great. like
2: so. Are you gonna do anything? Great one. There? I'm you not doing anything. Right no, I'm not doing a workshop. Yeah, I'm just gonna attend. Yeah, yeah. just enjoy it. Yeah, that's so There's yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> a good one. <laughs> <Dinner>. <laughs> Can I I ask one more question? Please do. Let's do one more and then we can...
1: Okay. Um, So for each of you, can you think off the top of your head of a visual artist or musician or someone who inspires you? Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Or writer. Or writer. Any creative... Yeah, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, With writing, I mean, so many. Um, Marilyn Robinson, for Mm -hmm. sure woman named Alice Munro mm. um, is a really wonderful, amazing writer. Um, yeah, I do find other art forms really significant for inspiration, though. Um, I think, you know, when you are a writer, sometimes you need to kind of get out of the headspace of, like, words and stuff like that in order to find different types of inspiration. Um, so what I actually love is theater, I see a lot mm-hmm. of theater, and that's one of the spaces that really inspires me. Looking Glass, I try to see most everything they do, um, which is a theater here in Chicago. Oh, okay. And um, um, find it just—they're just so creative and inventive. The things they do is just really great. I don't know if mm-hmm. any of you have been there. Um, so that's somewhere that I like to go to kind of find inspiration. Cool,
3: it's cool. Um, I'm inspired a lot by visual art. Um, yeah. I- Hanging out at museums. I mean there's definitely wings I like more than other wings of museums, but I kinda know where I'd like to go. There's a portrait artist no, not a portrait artist. There's a um what is it? I don't know, National Portrait Artist Museum or something in DC. Have mm. any of you been there? Mm. And that place particularly just just hang out there. Wow. So that cool. and writers, yeah. Yeah.
2: Writers? Katie's a visual artist as well. No. Oh wow. Yes.
3: <laughs> anyway, no. I
2: don't really know. <laughs> no. I'm drawing like flower pots now. I'm like,
3: no sunsets. No, I'm really bad now. <laughs> um, last
0: observation: both of your the covers of your books are upside down oh. images. Oh, You're my book is over there.
2: Over there. It, it is, is upside down. Well, part of partly upside down. The houses okay. are upside down. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, don't I
3: don't know why.
0: We're both
2: very subversive.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um I chose the image for the cover of my book, yes. Oh, they like you. They did, yes. Which I did love. And it's a local artist who I like. Yes. A Chicago artist. Yes. Yes.
3: I I hate my cover. Can you guys what do you think? Oh yeah. I, mean, I don't is, is it basically like that first scene? The I think so. Scene? I, I mean, she's on a dock, and yeah. I don't know why she's upside down. It's just. You to it? No. They, well, no. They, they do have a last day, but they're supposed to be back and forth, and there wasn't a whole lot of back
2: and forth. That's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. No? I've yeah. heard that's a problem. That's yeah. not it
1: uncommon. It is. Yeah, I I, I, our, our friend Mark Larrison in Berkeley is devastated.
3: Yeah. Oh, Rick yeah. Rick hated his. Yeah. There's there's some really bad and if you're familiar with what's I mean, if you go into Barnes and Noble, the stuff in there is amazing. You know yeah. the new stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. A good a good designer, really. Yeah. Yeah. Be a lot of, yeah. Okay, so anyway. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks.